There is nothing that is more tense than giving away our money. That's just the bottom line. It's the truth. We can think of things that might be tense for us. I mean, uh, there was one time that we were uh, having a family dinner, and my father-in-law told one of our guests that she had gained a lot of weight. That is tense. It was a tense family dinner after that. But that dissipates. That goes away. That is gone, right? There's other tense moments when we tell people at our jobs that, um, you know, hey, we're not going to be coming back. And that's a little bit tense because people are disappointed, but uh, that also goes away. There are times when we tell our significant others that, you know what, we can't be with you anymore. Maybe we've had to do that at some point in our lives. And that's tense. But eventually it, it goes away. But there's nothing that brings us more tension than having to give away our money. We have to give away our money in a bunch of different ways, in a bunch of different settings almost daily. There are people on the street who want our money. There are magazines that ask for our money. There are internet products that we need to buy. There are stores that want us to get the latest thing. Right now, in your inbox, think about this. You have one email from somebody or something asking you to give them money. True? In your inbox somewhere. And let's not even talk about like junk mail that we get. How irrelevant is it that we still get junk mail? But they're asking us for money. That's what they're doing. And so we're in this position where it is incredibly tense to give away our money. We are sitting here in church. Guess what the church does? We ask you to give away your money, don't we? We ask you to support us. We say that we can't make it without your support. And you know, that's true. That's the truth. It's the truth of it. So there's this tension about what it means to give away money. The reason we have this tension is because most of us, we don't have any or enough of it, right? We're in a position where we have to budget and think about what we're going to spend and make sure that we're wise in the way we spend. We're not some rich kid that goes to some rich kid club and does rich kid things. I don't even know what that is because I'm not a rich kid. So, you know, we're not that, right? We have to think about the way that we use our money, the way we give our money. It's true in our businesses as well. I'm sure that there are people here in this room today who at some point maybe have been let go by a business because that business simply ran out of money. I know that I was a part of a church before this where our church had to close because we did not have the money to keep it going. That happens. So there is a tension in the way we give our money, spend our money, deal with money. Now, Something to make us feel a little bit better that I was thinking about this week. Jesus had to do this too. Jesus walked the earth. Jesus had to deal with money. In fact, there's like these little hints in scripture that show us that's true, that Jesus had to deal with money. We uh, know that Christ wore a seamless garment, and we know that in those days that was incredibly expensive, which means there at some point Jesus had to make a decision whether or not to purchase this garment. We know that Jesus had a treasurer. His treasurer was Judas, who was not a good person or a good treasurer. But he still had one, and that treasurer was supposed to help them decide what they were going to do with their money, right? So in some way, Jesus had the same tensions that we have when it comes to money, okay? So we can feel better that the Son of God felt the exact same way we do, all right? We can feel better with that. But is it possible that our perception of money, and especially of giving it away, and our perception of our possessions, and especially giving them away, are a bit skewed. Is that possible? Is it possible that maybe the way that Jesus lived with money and possessions is a little bit different than the way that we live with our money and our possessions? 
I mean, right now we're in this series of uh, theology of, and we've talked about the theology of less, right? How when we, when we have less, we're able to take on more important things. We live a fuller life. So we talked about leading with no's, and we talked about resting. And last week, Jen Johnson came in, and she talked about how to put our work into perspective so that when we have less, we live fuller lives. So the question I have is, is it possible for us to live with less and to be full? Is it possible for us to understand God's perspective and God's economy? Is that possible? So there's this uh, parable that we, that we just heard from Joanne. Thank you, Joanne. That was long. It was a long reading that you had to do. And, uh, and we just heard the whole thing, and it's this parable that gives us some perspective on what God's economy looks like and what the kingdom economy looks like. And I don't know about you, but it is a super confusing parable. Anybody else a little bit confused by it? All right, I guess we're done. We're finished here. It's confusing. Let's go home. It's confusing. It's, it's a struggle. And so what we're going to do is we're going to wrestle a little bit with this, okay? We're going to try to unpack it. We're going to try to figure out exactly what Jesus is saying about God's economy through this parable. And what I hope that we can do at the end of this is figure out how to live fully in this economy of God with less, all right? So Jesus is sitting around. And he's sitting in the square with his disciples. And his disciples presumably ask him a question about money. And so he starts talking. And while he's talking, the Pharisees show up. Now, who are the Pharisees? We've talked about the Pharisees before. The Pharisees were uh, the religious leaders. Okay? They were the ones that were in charge of the church, in charge of the temple. Uh, and history tells us that they were also uh, incredible business people. They were savvy business people. They made a lot of money. They were wealthy people. And so they're curious to hear what Jesus has to say about money as well, all right? Now, there's something that we can assume about the disciples, and there's something that we can assume about these Pharisees, these business people, okay? And that's this. We can assume, first off, that they gave money, right? The law said that they were to give 10%. So we can assume that they all gave their 10%, okay? We can assume that. Here's another thing we can assume based on history and based on context. We can assume that they felt like they had more to lose than they had to gain by giving. They had more to lose than they had to gain. Now, I have to be honest, that resonates with me a little bit. I mean, I give money. I give money to the church. I give money to other organizations. And when I give, I get a nice little feeling in here. It feels good. I'm like, yeah, I gave. But I'm not like, yeah, I gave. You know, I'm not like, oh, I'm gaining so much. I don't feel that way. Usually, you know, usually when I give, I'm like, kids, we gave money, so no ice cream today. Here's a plate of vegetables instead. That's what I say to them. But anyway, like, it, you know, there's, there's a sense in which I don't, you guys, that was about five seconds late. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Anyway, when we give, right? <laughs> when we, well, this is what happens when you do this without notes. When we give, we feel like we have more to lose than we do to gain. That's the bottom line on it. And my guess is you guys feel the same way I do, right? That's my guess. That in some capacity you feel the same way. So this is who Jesus is talking to. And Jesus tells this parable. He says, I want to I take your assumption and I want to crush it. And I'm going to crush it by telling you this parable. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to try to tell it in a way that uh, better helps us understand it. Uh, in a context that maybe we get a little bit more, that we understand a little bit better. Okay, So I'm going to update this, this parable that Jesus tells a little bit. And this will help us to see what God's economy looks like. So Jesus says, there's this woman 
And uh, she just graduates from Stanford. She's 22 years old. And she creates the next amazing app. Like, just the next, the best app there ever was. It's the next Uber. Uh, and it's uh, how to help find uh, restaurants for dogs. And so, um, <laughs> so she creates it. <laughs> and it's really good. I made that up first service. And I was like, I'm just going to go with it. Um, but uh, she makes this app, Restaurants for Dogs, and the thing just takes off. Everybody's using Restaurants for Dogs. And now she, you know, her app is valued at like $9 billion, okay? So she's like, this is great. I have this great app. She goes, she buys the Brooklyn Nets. She goes to eat in great places. She like travels everywhere. She joins a couple country clubs. And then she goes, I need to hire somebody to take care of my money. So she does. She hires a money manager. Money manager's doing his thing. And she's sitting at the country club one day, and she hears from her friends, hey, I hear your money manager's losing a ton of your money. That's what I hear. She's like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I hear that, you know, he's investing poorly and things aren't working the way they should. And she's like, this is awful. So billionaire app woman goes to her money manager and she says, is it true? Are you losing my money and are you not doing a great job? And he's like, no, it's true. I'm losing a ton of money. This is awful. I don't know what to tell you. And she goes, you're fired. That's what I'm telling you. You're fired. And then she goes, you have 48 hours 48 hours to show me all of my financials. You have 48 hours to give me an account of everything you have done. But regardless of what happens, you are still fired. That's what we have here. So the money manager goes, great. I just became a CPA and I got to pay off my student loans. I'm getting married. I told my fiance we go to Tahiti. You know, and I'm out of a job. Like, what am I going to do? So he's like, I got it. I got it. So he's got a little bit of money, right? He's still got the, the, the billionaire's money. He's got a little bit of time. He's got a great opportunity. Little bit of money, little bit of time, great opportunity. He gets on the phone, calls, uh, calls up the, the people that, uh, you know, have, oh, oh, this billionaire app woman money. And he calls them up. He goes, hey, you owe my client money. And they go, I know uh, we owe $5 million. He goes, great. Do this. Make it $3 million. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. He goes, I know. And they're like, why are you doing this? And he goes, listen, in two days, I'm going to call you again. And in two days, I want you to remember what I did for you just now. Okay, I want you to remember that I just cut your, what you owed in half. Then he calls the next place, and he's like, hey, you owe my client you know, a year's worth of dividends. And they're like, we do. And he's like, we'll make it seven months. And they're like, wow, seven months, why? And he's like, it's crazy, it's a sale, everything's got to go. You know, like, he's all excited. And he goes, no, no, for real, though. He goes, he goes listen, in two days, I'm going to call you again. And just remember what I did for you. You remember what I did for you? And they're like, yeah, thank you so much. You're incredible. You're a great person. And he's like, okay. So this, so this happens. So, so he's sort of setting himself up. He's like, you know, if, if, you know, when I do get fired in 48 hours, you know, I've at least done some good work for these people that they'll want to hire me or, you know, at least pay my student loans or whatever. You know, I, put, I set myself up. I put myself in a really good position so that my life can be changed. My life can be fixed. That's what he says. Gets back to the billionaire app woman. And the billionaire app woman goes, I've been hearing what you're doing, and you're very good. You are very good. Maybe you're not a great money manager, but you're very good otherwise. And then that's the end of the story. It just stops. That's it. Story over. We're done. It's such a weird story. <laughs> what is Jesus trying to say? What's Jesus trying to say to this? Story? Remember, he's talking to some really rich men who give 10%. And they give 10% based on the idea that they have more to lose than they have to gain. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, you are phenomenal, smart, savvy people. In fact, he uses the word shrewd, okay? Shrewd is the word that's used in Scripture. Shrewd in the Greek uh, is blended in to mean two things. It means sensible 
and it means big picture. So you are sensible and you are a big picture thinker. You're able to see the, the problem behind the problem behind the problem to get to the solution. You're able to get there. So he uses this word very clearly, shrewd. He says, you are so shrewd when it comes to your own business decisions. You're so shrewd at making sure you see the problem behind the problem so that you can get to the answer. You're just like this money manager. And yet when it comes to God's kingdom, you become a complete idiot. Seriously. That's what Jesus is saying. Seriously. In fact, he tells them exactly that. He says this, he says, be, uh, he says, the master commended the dishonored manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. So in that sentence, he's saying, you guys are being dumb, right? You guys aren't even acting like people of the light. So basically, you're smart, you're savvy, you see the big picture. Uh, when it's all about you, when it's all about God's kingdom, all of a sudden you have excuses. I don't know. My money's not doing anything. This isn't going to help. We're not going to solve anything with this. It's like, how can you be so smart, so adept in one area, and then when it comes to God's kingdom, be so completely inept? How is that possible? Now, guys, we live in New York City. I don't have to tell you about what it means to live here. We all know. We all deal with it. I can also say that we don't make it in this place if we are not shrewd. We don't. Every single one of us here is savvy and adept and has a plan and can see the problem behind the problem. Otherwise, we would have gone back to wherever we came from a long time ago. That's the truth of it. Maybe your plan is like, you know, sleeping on couches for four years. That's fine. It's still a plan, right? It's still that thing that you have to do. And so Jesus is talking to us too. He's saying, you guys are here and, you've, and you're making it and you're, you, know, you might be struggling, but at least you have parts of life figured out and you're savvy and you're adept and you see the problem behind the problem, you see the solution, you see the big picture. And yet when it comes to giving to, to my people, to my church, to organizations, you say things like, well, the church might mishandle money or the church you know, messed up that one time or this organization, they only use 85% of their funds to help at people. They give somebody a salary there and that's weird. You know, like these are the things that we say and it doesn't add up, it doesn't stack up because what Jesus says is you're so smart over here but why are you just so unable to see the big picture on this side of things, on the kingdom side? Why are you making excuses when you're usually this creative money manager that's willing to do whatever it takes to get yourself ahead why aren't you using your limited time, your limited stuff, to create big opportunities for God's kingdom the same way you do for yourself? It's a good question. It's a really good question. He says, maybe you don't see the big picture. Maybe that's the problem. He says, let me tell you what the big picture is. He reads, uh, Luke sixteen nine says this. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. All right, when I first read this, I wasn't exactly sure what this was. I was like, is Jesus really saying, if you give, you'll go to heaven? And after reading a bunch of commentary and you know, trying to read it in some different contexts, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that. What Jesus is saying is that the big picture, when you work in God's kingdom economy, all right? The big picture that you see so clearly for yourself, the big picture in God's kingdom economy is so big, it's so infinite, it's so great, it's so incredible that you won't even understand what it looks like until you get to heaven. That's what he's saying. 
So here at our church, we believe that there's a perfect place, like a perfect peace, a perfect kingdom, an afterlife, a heaven, that at some point that we will be a part of, okay? And what Jesus is saying in this is when you're able to work within God's economy and you're able to be as smart and as savvy with what you have for God and God's kingdom, what will happen is that you'll be walking down the streets of heaven, wherever that may be, and somebody's going to come up to you and you're going to be like, hey, and they're going to be like, hey, and you're going to be like, do I know you? And they're going to be like, no, but I know you. Because one time when you were 28 years old, you wrote a check to this organization, and you just sent it in, and it was great. And what happened was I was in foster care, and I was 18, and I was about to be kicked out. And that organization used your money, some other money, and they gave me an education that I wasn't going to get otherwise. And then they used your money and some other money. They made sure that I was taken care of and I was okay. And then I got a really good job taking care of other people and impacting other people and loving other people. And what ended up happening is I impacted hundreds, maybe even thousands of people in my lifetime. So thank you. That gift you gave when you were 28 changed lives of thousands in ways that you couldn't even imagine and you didn't even know about until you got here with me. That's what Jesus is saying with this. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, you know what, this is how you create heavenly friends. He's like, you, just by your able ability to see life a little differently and to be as savvy uh, for others as you are for yourselves creates changes that you can't even fathom until you actually see a glimpse of God at work in heaven. That's shocking and exciting and incredible. It shocked the disciples and it shocked the Pharisees because this is what they heard, okay? This is what they heard when he said this. They heard him say, I know you give 10%. I need you to give 100%. Here's what God's saying to us. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. I need you to give 100%. That's what I need you to do. Now, if you're like me, and you first hear that, you have a physical reaction of wanting to run out the door. That's my reaction anyway. And I'm the pastor. (laughs) But here's what it is. It's not, Jesus isn't saying like, hey, you know, go get rid of all your stuff, give away all your stuff and go live in a hut somewhere. Jesus is not saying that. He's saying change your perspective. Change the way you think about giving away your money, the way you give away your possessions, your your stuff. Change your perspective. So now it's not about I do this one-time thing and it's 10% and it's done. Every single financial transaction you make, Every single transaction you make with your possessions, you're saying, how does this thing that I'm doing, how does this transaction bring peace to God's kingdom? How is this little tiny transaction that I'm making, this financial thing that I'm doing, is it possible that by doing this, I will change the lives of people forever? And that takes 100% of our time. That takes 100% of changing the way we think about the transactions we make and the finances that we have and the ways we give and the ways we hold on to things. So think about your daily lives, the cup of coffee you get. How does getting a $2.25 cup of coffee change lives and bring peace to God's kingdom? Is it possible? Maybe you walk in and the barista's not looking happy and you give her a word of encouragement. That's a different way of looking at it. Maybe you tip your change and you never tip your change. You don't know what kind of difference that would make. Maybe you're buying a cup of coffee for the person behind you. That changes them in some way. We do not know. God says the perspective on this end is so big. The kingdom perspective is so big and so infinite. And God is working in so many amazing ways that we might not even see the change until we get to heaven. But it is happening. How is it happening? It happens when we ask. 
How is this transaction bringing peace to God's kingdom? You're going to go out this week for happy hour at some point. Go out to eat. That's great. Do it. Spend your money on that. How is it going to bring peace to God's kingdom? Ask yourself that question. And Jesus gives us the benefit of the doubt here. Jesus says, you're savvy. You're that creative money manager. You're shrewd. Go figure it out. Be creative in how that brings peace to my kingdom. Be creative in how God will use you to to allow people's lives to change. Be creative in that. Go figure out and do it, but have that perspective. That concert you're going to go to on Saturday, it's great. How does it bring peace to God's kingdom? Spend the money on that ticket. Maybe you're buying another ticket for someone who couldn't go otherwise. Maybe you're just supporting an artist because you know artists are amazing and you know this person happens to sing better than you and you want to go support them. That's worship. How does your perspective change when you're asking, how does every financial transaction I make bring peace to God's kingdom? And you know we're going to talk about the church. What about our church? What about giving to our church? A few weeks ago, I hung out with two people. I hung out with them back-to-back at this place. And the first person I hung out with was this incredible leader, uh, somebody who gives to our church, somebody who gives of their time, their resources, their money. And I'm talking with them, and they're discouraged. They were discouraged. And they were like, you know what? I don't feel like I hear God right now. And I'm having a really hard go. It's been tough and having a difficult time. And so, you know, we tried to encourage this person and, you know, talked with them, prayed and everything else. And they left. And then a short time later, this other person comes in. And this other person is like, I can't believe what God's doing at our church right now. This is crazy. It's incredible. Like, I've never had more community. I've never felt God speaking in so many incredible ways. And what I wanted to do is run out the door and grab the other person. Like, this is what you're doing. This is it. You might be discouraged, but your giving is changing the life of this person, and you don't even know it. And you don't even know it yet. That's the kingdom perspective. That's understanding the way life works in God's economy. What about our possessions? You guys know Mike Amira Joyner? See a few head nods. Let's just do this. If you're your first time here, I apologize. But if it's not, how many people have actually been to Mike and Mira's house? That's kingdom perspective right there. If you don't know Mike and Mira, know them. They have this house, and they tell everybody to come over all the time, constantly. And they have three young kids, and I have two young kids, and I go crazy. And they have three, and they still tell people to come over and hang out and watch TV and eat with them and talk with them and hang out because they're like, we have this house. Just come and use it with us. And I can tell you, I, I cannot look at social media without seeing a picture of their house and a bunch of people there, and everybody's like this. <laughs> Smiling all big and corny. All of them are having fun. But that's God's economy right there. With all of my possessions, how am I using this to bring peace to God's kingdom? How am I using it to change lives? Because lives are being changed at their house. You're sitting there going, Jonathan, I have a 300 square foot studio. No one's coming over. I feel you. What do you have? What do you have that might change people's lives? Guys, we have a short amount of time We have a little bit of stuff, and we have an incredible opportunity. An incredible opportunity to change lives, to look at the big picture, beyond the picture, beyond the picture, to see God at work doing infinite things in the smallest 
of transactions. My grandfather tells this story uh, about his great-grandfather, which means it's my third great-grandfather. He tells a story about uh, this man. His name is Abraham Faust. And uh, in the late 1800s, he had a blacksmith shop in Pittsburgh. And somebody walked into his blacksmith shop one day and started talking to him uh, just about life and about church and about other things. And then this man did something, gave something, said something to Abraham Faust. I'm not sure what it was or what he gave or what he said, but it was something. And it changed Abraham Faust. He said, you know what, I gotta go to this guy's church. He was talking, I gotta go there. What he did in my shop was incredible. So he goes to his church with his family and he goes to this church and and lives are changed completely. Abraham Faust, my great-great-great-grandfather's life has changed. Uh, His family's life has changed. He had sons and two of his sons become pastors. And they both start churches in Pittsburgh. And they start these churches in Pittsburgh. And then like hundreds of people there are changed. And you know, maybe not everybody becomes pastors. But, but the, the change is there. And, and the love is there. The impact is there. And, and, and these lives are changed all throughout Pittsburgh. And then my great-grandfather is born. And he was a steel worker. He's this incredible steel worker. And, and steel workers, you're not supposed to be tough. Or you're supposed to be tough. And you're supposed to like not show any love. I guess from what I hear, he showed love to everyone and helped everybody at this steel mill and changed all of their lives. And then he had my grandfather. My grandfather ended up, you know, building all these churches in New York before I was even born. And hundreds upon thousands of people were impacted by my grandfather's work. And then my grandparents had four daughters, one of which is my mom. And they all have a perspective that is just amazing. They all are about helping and caring and impacting and loving. And they all married four men who are all pastors, (laughs) including my dad, who started churches that impacted hundreds upon thousands of people across the country. I have 12 cousins. Every single one of them is in the helping profession. Seven of them are pastors. I have two siblings. Both my sisters live to help other people. I'm standing here today with you guys. And I got to think part of the reason I am is because in the 1800s, somebody walked into my great, great, great grandfather's shop and had a kingdom perspective about that transaction. You guys are here today. Who are you going to impact? Who's going to come up to you in heaven and say, you don't know me, but you changed my life? My grandfather told this story. He's 85 years old. He just told this story at a giant conference. These are the last words he said. He said, when I get to heaven, I want to find this man and thank him for inviting my grandfather, Abraham Faust, to church because he gave me this legacy by doing one simple act that changed the lives of so many. You guys pray with me? God, it's hard, it's tense, it's difficult giving money away. We don't want to do it, it's a struggle. God, help us to you know, have ears to hear, eyes to see. Open up our minds to what you're doing, to the perspective that you have, the one that we might know about, or we might not know about, God. Show us grace when we don't want to give at all. Show us mercy when we don't. And remind us that we have grace that is overflowing because of you and we want that grace to be given to others. That happens through us. We pray this all in your name. Amen.